Welcome once again to 20 Minute Topic with me, Marcus Stead, and veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. It's the final 20 Minute Topic of 2019, and we're going to reflect on how this year will go down in history, and ask whether it's possible for the Labour Party to recover from its current dire state. Well, Greg, I'm suffering from a heavy cold at the moment, but we're going to battle on as best we can. And uh, how was your Christmas, first of all? Well, first, first of all, um, les Anglais avec son sang froid, um, Eartha Kitt, wasn't it? Eartha Kitt is it? a euphemism where I come from. Carry on. No, uh, that's um, the Englishman with his usual bloody cold. <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas passed peacefully for you, did it? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. Um, Christmas to me is a bit of a non-event. Um, I was at boarding school and uh, much of my childhood, my parents were overseas and they were really rather out of touch with kids and I usually ended up with seriously inappropriate gifts in the post and it didn't mean a lot. Okay, very quickly then, what was the worst gift you ever had? (sighs) I think probably having been promised a bicycle by my parents and that they... um, I know this story, I know where it's going, but go on. They had bought it and uh, they turned up with it when they came home from Singapore that time. Um, And, yeah, they bought me a lovely new bicycle. And uh, I wouldn't be seen dead on it, Mark, you, um, because it was sort of sit up and beg with a a basket on the front. Very practical. I don't think... um, for uh, a young boy who all his friends had um, competed for who had the lightest weight um, and the most gears racing bike. Um, and you looked like the bloke out of the Hovis advert. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I sold it in the local junk shop the same day I had it. <laughs> So, so that that ex- that explains why Christmas ain't that big a deal for you. Uh, it, it tends to. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we shall we shall plough on, and um, 2017 will come to an end in just a few days' time, and indeed the decade will come to an end, and we begin 2020 and new beginnings in all sorts of ways. But I think when we look back on 2019, and to think not just 2019, going back to particularly the second half of 2018 as well. How we will remember this historically, I think we remember this as the year of Theresa May struggling to get anything through the House of Commons, parliamentary deadlock, and people becoming very entrenched in their opinions. The the, the Remain side, there was not all on the Remain side, I must emphasise that, but quite a few people who backed Remain have doggedly refused to accept the result of the referendum when it first happened in, in the 2016 referendum, in the 2017 general election, and now the general election of 2019, they've kind of been forced to accept it. But with, I'm thinking in particular of all the shouting that was going on on College Green outside Parliament for almost all of 2019, it seemed to me. This has been a year, not necessarily a year to forget, but a year when the establishment just wouldn't accept the will of the people. That's how it seemed to me. I take a slightly different view. As far as I'm concerned, it's a year where elements of the establishment encouraged division and hatred in the country for their own personal ends. I'm more aware of the, probably the the best example of it, uh, well, one of the best examples, 
is Yasmin Alibi Brown, vicious, ill-mannered, ill-tempered, completely out of touch. And if she hates Britain that much, why doesn't she go back to Uganda? Well, I we think one, one of our Britain. listeners, Johnny Gould, appeared alongside her on The Right Stuff, or the Jeremy Vine show, as it now is, on Channel 5 one morning, and he pretty much said that to her, and he was the fellow panellist. So, great she minds think alike. She is vile, and she it typifies what has come out through the Remainers. And if you look at it, the Remainers, in devious and dishonest attempt to get their own way, Although they knew very little about what Brexit meant, because most of them were realistically an example of give a child the encouragement of an adult and they'll take on the world. And it was um, children, young students and the like, led on by the nose by overgrown children who happened to work in academia and have never matured into the real world, uh, a few politicians with their snout in the trough uh, feeding off our taxes in Europe, uh, like Heseltine, who receives somewhere in excess of 90000 a year um, in grant money, presumably for doing nothing with his land, well, he's not um, even in the Conservative Party anymore, indeed, at the election just gone. He encouraged to, to, to vote for the uh, Liberal Democrats. But when, when we think about, for most of this year, Theresa May was the Prime Minister, well, certainly until August time. Yeah, that was it, wasn't it? August time that Boris yeah. Johnson became Prime Minister. When people look back at her two years as Prime Minister in time to come, because it tends to be that Prime Minister's legacies look better the further away we move from their time in office. How do you think Theresa May will be remembered? We're going to have to move a very long way mm. uh, from her time in office. I think she was fundamentally a decent, honourable individual mm. who was so incredibly out of her depth. I seem to recall that, that in the many years she was Home Secretary, uh, she was known as Theresa Maybe uh, because... She never really made her mind up on anything and was so busy looking for consensus, nothing ever got done. Mm. Um, I think she wanted desperately to please all of the people all of the time. And that is an absolute recipe for pleasing nobody at the end of the day. And that is exactly what she achieved. Yeah, because I, my own view of Theresa May is I think if she was my next door neighbour, I'd probably get on with her. I'm sure she's a very nice Christian and a nice person to meet on a personal level. But even when she was Home Secretary, and even going back before that, I think back to the early 2000s when she was Conservative Party chairman. It was In those days, she used to wear the leopard skin shoes. And she coined that phrase on the Conservative Party conference stage. Some people think of us as the nasty party. Well, another former chairman, Norman Tebbit, I think articulated really what conservatism should be about in, a, in his Daily Telegraph online column not so long ago, where he said, conservatives go into politics to do the difficult things. And that, I think, historically has been the case. But Theresa May, I don't think, has an ideology as such. I think she is a people pleaser. I think about her time in the Home Office, which was every single year without exception she failed to get net immigration 
down to the tens of thousands from the hundreds of thousands, which was a, a manifesto pledge going back to 2010. And I, it struck me as very, very odd from the time of the referendum in 2016. I thought even from a purely logical point of view, when the Conservatives made her leader without a proper leadership contest, lest we forget, when Andrea Leadsom stepped away, Theresa May became leader and yet she'd been on the Remain side. Now, bearing in mind what the Brexit process involved and the negotiation and the parliamentary legislation and everything else, surely, surely to goodness from the outset, it would have made sense to have a prime minister who actually believed in it. At that stage, it was very hard to find somebody who did actually believe in it within government because um, when you fail as a politician in the UK, in domestic elections, you can always be booted up the tree into a European job. So they were looking to their future. I have developed an incredible scepticism of the integrity of politicians in the last three years um, of studying them. I don't think ever before they have been such a venal, self-interested bunch. And um, we noticed what happened um, to the most venal and self-interested of them all, uh, the Labour Party. Um, their, even their own electorate saw through them and have booted them into the long grass, where looking at their, the people they are currently suggesting for leadership of their party, they are unlikely to get back into British politics with any meaningful say about anything for a minimum of 10 years. Now, do you think, therefore, that the fact that the Conservatives have won seats in places they haven't won seats in any of our lifetimes in some cases, Sedgefield, Wrexham, I could go on. Could this be, this, this election, the start of a process rather than the end of one? So let's say Boris Johnson delivers Brexit and... By the time the next election comes round, which is unlikely now to be for another four to five years, and people in these areas who voted for him, voted for the Conservative Party led by him, to be specific, see a, a marked improvement in their quality of life in that time, they could end up staying with him. And is it even possible that the Conservatives could end up extending their appeal as Labour becomes more and more out of touch with its heartlands? Because it seems to me, and I've, we've talked about this in the past and I've written about it at some considerable length elsewhere, is that there's now an enormous disconnect between the Labour heartlands and the party membership, the membership which consists largely of middle-class students, academics, white-collar public sector workers who are worlds apart in their thinking from the grassroots. Do you think this election could be the start rather than the end of a process? I think it's the start of the end of the, the Labour Party. And do any of their leadership candidates give you any se sense of optimism at all for Labour's future? I'll go further than that. Does anyone that I can think of in the Labour Party give me any optimism for them in the future? I can see absolutely nobody in the Labour Party that I would wish to represent me anywhere. What would you recommend people do then? Because we are agreed on where the problems are with the Labour Party, the stench of anti-Semitism, this sort of Marxism, if not close to Marxism at the very least, of Corbyn, Macdonald and so forth. Beware, you... of the, beware of the, in my opinion, overly simplistic quote of anti-Semitism. I'm not entirely sure that they are being anti-Semitic. I think 
they are being pro-Palestinian, pro-Islam, pro-jihadi type terrorism in the interest of being anti-British because they have lost and completely lost their grassroots support um, increasingly as their grassroots support moved from using a pick and shovel to using a ballpoint pen and calling themselves white-collar middle-class workers. They've lost them, and they have looked at the only growing area in this country, which is the Muslim communities, and I say communities, unlike um, perhaps the Jewish people who have settled in this country, who are not a Jewish community. They have integrated totally. And I um, know of many people who are Jewish who very few of their neighbors would realize. And unlike that, Muslims have tended to come to this country, the majority of them in a fair degree of poverty, and they have purchased one or two houses in a given area, paid off the mortgage very rapidly by um, many overcrowding of that property, and then bought adjoining houses or near adjoining houses, which has resulted because they ghettoized in depressing prices in the area so that they end up expanding further. And you can look at towns like Leicester, Leamington, um, Bradford, Leeds, where it is not going to be very long before you start to see large numbers of councillors, if not majorities of councillors, on the local councils of these towns, sometimes cities. Birmingham is another, where increasingly you'll find that it is very difficult to get a license for the selling of alcohol, where schools have to um, adjust to uh, a far more Muslim-oriented um, curriculum. I think that's where Labour's going. Yeah, I would urge a little bit of caution on this because where I live, I live among the oldest Muslim community in Britain and they are very well integrated. Um, but they, are, they are not remotely like the Muslim community that has built up mainly uh, since um, Blair's policy of importing uh, large quantities of people from uh, Pakistan and the debacle of many um, people from the Indian subcontinent coming to this country from Uganda, uh, many of whom seem to, despite the fact that we gave them home and shelter when they stood the chance of being slaughtered, man, woman and child, to their last one in Uganda, uh, many of them seem to have an abiding hatred of Britain. Um, I don't understand this attitude of isolation that they've chosen when there are communities like Butte Street in Cardiff, um, Hull has uh, large communities of uh, Muslims who have been long established and completely integrated um, with the people where there is very little rivalry or unpleasantness um, and none of the 
endless protest we see from the later arrivals. Well, what I would say to that is I know Butte Street in Cardiff very well indeed. Well, I know that community very well indeed, which extends from Butte Town into Grangetown and so forth. Uh, Butte Street was historically associated with uh, prostitution. I'm pleased to say that's no longer the case. But the Muslim community is very well integrated uh, in, in these areas, certainly. And I also pay tribute to the Ahmadiyya Muslims who live in Britain and are very well integrated into British society who face considerable persecution from other Muslim sects, actually. So I pay tribute to them as well but so far as the Labour Party I hope you're wrong I don't think you are wrong necessarily but I hope you're wrong because I don't like this sort of sectarianism in politics it always ends very badly that sort of thing but that poses the question and I'm not sure there is an answer to this yet but if you are an old school socialist who doesn't buy into the Boris Johnson agenda um, but you're not an anti-Semite and you're not an extremist and you love this country should you stay in the Labour Party or should you now look to form a new movement as an alternative opposition? I think the question is not should you, could you? Uh, I don't believe anybody of integrity could stay in the Labour Party if they were truly old school Labour. So what would you say then? If, if right now, if supposing, just pretend they're listening to this for argument's sake, Caroline Flint, Kate Hoey, Austin Mitchell, I could go on, you're getting the idea... Where should those sort of people do and what should they do with themselves now? I don't think they stand a chance of regaining control of the Labour Party. The entire top end of the Labour Party um, are as batty as a box of frogs. Corbyn, um, Rebecca Long-Bailey, uh, Jess Phillips, uh, they are all extreme and in my, in my opinion, thoroughly unpleasant, um, rabid lamy, etc., etc. And I can think of no decent Labour members that show any sign of coming forward or realistically would want to rule the rabble that exists. Yeah, well, you've got to understand the problem here, and it's this. In the period immediately before Jeremy Corbyn became leader and in the period immediately afterwards, there was a huge amount of entryism, extreme people paying their £3 to become Labour Party members, and the demographic of the party changed dramatically and permanently. This is not something you can change back. So whoever follows Jeremy Corbyn as leader is likely to be in the same mould as him. So that means, are you really saying then, based on what you just said, that this is now the time for people of integrity, whether they're former MPs, current MPs in some cases, or ordinary members, to organise themselves and form an alternative opposition because the Labour Party is toxic and beyond fixing. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Um, yep. They need to remove themselves from the Labour Party as Labour, uh, modern Labour, or call themselves something like that, um, but totally, completely and utterly disassociate themselves from what has become an evil, anti-British, anti-democracy rabble. And that brings us to the end of 20 Minute Topic, not only for this week, but for 2019. I battled on as best I could with a heavy cold. I hope it didn't uh, spoil your enjoyment of the podcast too much. No idea how this is going to sound when I play it back. 
But um, yeah, it's been 28 weeks now, believe it or not, since we started doing 20 Minute Topic. And uh, Greg and I are both very grateful indeed for all the feedback we've received. Please do keep it coming. The easiest way to get in touch, I suppose, is uh, via Twitter. I'm at Marcus Stead. And um, yeah, do continue to enjoy what's left of the festive season. Greg and I also would like to wish you all a happy, healthy and prosperous 2020. And also remember that Christmas continues because it goes on until the Feast of the Epiphany. Lots of European countries continue to celebrate until the 5th and the 6th of January. It's a pity we don't mark Christmas properly. We have this huge build-up starting in September. And then when Christmas actually arrives, we stop celebrating it far too soon, in my opinion. But anyway... Do join us next weekend for the first 20-minute topic of 2020, where Greg and I will be giving our predictions for the year ahead. So please join us then. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.